like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Holly Faust is the occult researcher for Phantom Detectives. She's also a paranormal investigator, writer, researcher, esoteric minister, Reiki master teacher, psychic medium, teaching investigators the importance of client spirituality in the investigative process, along with the importance of historical research. She also strives to aid others in a better understanding of occult symbols. Holly has been investigating for more than 30 years and has had the opportunity to investigate many locations throughout the country and has also conducted hundreds of private investigations. She had the opportunity to study under many veterans in the field and observed how the paranormal is investigated by the incredible Rhine Institute in Raleigh, North Carolina. Her book is called My Journey Out of the Darkness. Holly, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. This is interesting that you got in this field many, many years ago, and you never yeah. got hurt, did you? Um, I've had uh, some experiences where I've been knocked down, I've been scratched, I've been, you know, have had things happen to me, but I've never had a very serious injury. What do these dark entities want with us, Holly? Um, honestly, I I don't know. Um, I think... You know, there's there's two schools of thought. I think some of them are actually very, very evil beings that, you know, want to cause harm and want to cause mayhem. And then on the other hand, I believe there are some that are just, you know, things that have been here for a lot longer than we have that we just don't understand and don't know how to explain. How did this all start for you? Um, my start actually happened in probably about 1993, although I, ha I had a real big interest in the paranormal from my, my teenage years. I lost a very dear friend, like one of my closest friends, and I had so many questions about what happened after death and where he was actually gone to. And I had a lot of people tell me because of the manner of his death that there was no way he went anywhere good. 
and, you know, like to a heaven or a Xanadu or whatever you would want to call it. And, you know, I wasn't happy with that answer because he was a good person. So I wanted to believe that he went somewhere better. And that basically got me on my quest because I was familiar with the paranormal and um, I didn't have a lot of a push to get involved. But when he passed away, it really pushed me to start researching and seeking out information and trying to understand more about what happens after death. And I wanted some type of reassurance that he was in a better place. So I just kept looking for like more and more information. And that's actually what got me involved with one of the first paranormal teams that I ever worked with. Did you ever get the answers you were looking for about him? Um, I did. Um, I actually, you know, I did a lot, you know, of different types of, I went to see psychics and mediums and, so many different types of people to try to make some contact, but it didn't seem that anything that they could tell me was driving with what I knew of him as a person. And um, it wasn't until I was invited to a actual seance. And um, that was probably in like the mid 2010s. Um, I was invited by a local paranormal research society to um, a seance at their offices and it was like a large group seance and you know, we were in the room and people were asking questions and there was some things happening, knocks and things like that. And then, you know, other things started happening and people were asking, well, are you here with me? Are you here with me? And then they just started naming people in the room. And when they got to my name, the large table in the room started like moving. And then the smaller table that we were using for table tipping actually started tipping back and forth. So I had started asking some leading questions that, you know, I didn't know who it was. My dad had recently passed away. So I thought, you know, it was him. And so I started asking questions to try to figure out, well, who is this person? And the further I had gotten to questioning, I realized that it was my friend. And because it was someone who had regretted how they passed away, they regretted you know, that they weren't there longer. They had, you know, a lot of feelings of sorrow and being sorry for leaving. And it's when I knew who it was. And I ended up having to leave the room in tears because I waited for so long that I'd actually forgotten that I had been trying to contact him all of this time. And uh, when I was driving home, it was probably 2, 3 a.m. in the morning and, you know, I just had this feeling like someone was with me in the car. And I happened to look into my rearview mirror and I actually saw him, you know, sitting in the back of my car. Oh, and I wasn't fearful and I was at peace. And I felt truly at that point, I knew he was in a better place. That would freak me out, Holly, seeing <laughs> eyes in your rearview mirror. Uh, no, it actually gave me peace because for whatever reason, I just felt at that moment, you know, and I still feel him now at times around me and the different things that happen in our lives, like my daughter having soap thrown at her in the house. He was a comedian in life, and I, I see him as a comedian in death still, and that's how I know when right. he's around. He usually does something funny. Little antics and things like that. Yep. Did he die way too early? Yes, he was only 20. Oh, my God. That is way too early. Can yeah, we ask how he passed, or is that is that um, too he, personal? Um, he unalived himself. 
explain that. Um, well, he was having a lot of struggles in life, and he was experiencing a lot of depression and unacceptance, and he just felt that he couldn't handle it anymore. And, you know, it was just he felt that there was, you know, something better for him beyond life here. He committed suicide? Yes. Oh, sorry to hear that. That's always tough to take. Yeah, it was it was very difficult for a very long time. I went through all the emotions of anger. Um, every time I had one of my children, I went to the grave and introduced him to them and yelled at him for not being there. But then as I got older and went through my own experiences with uh, mental health, I realized, you know, how people get to that point. And it, I think it's helped me, in, even in my paranormal career, to understand, like, what, it, what those things take and what, how dark your life has to be to get to that point. Though a lot of us believe in life after death, it's still tough when you lose a friend or a loved one. And because of the faith base that I was in at the time, being told that for someone like that, there wasn't a good outcome. And that's what got me involved in, in a quest of searching for spirituality and an understanding of other spiritual constructs. Now, Holly, you got into a car accident in 1994. What happened there? Um, I was driving to work. It was actually like one of the scariest times of my life. I still am fearful of the snow and ice because of it. Um, I made it up a huge mountain and down. And I was going over a tiny little hill, and I hit a patch of ice. I was a young driver. I was only 20 when this happened. I slid on the ice, and I panicked. So, of course, I slammed on my brakes, which made me slide faster. And I hit a telephone pole head on. And um, from what I was told, my seatbelt in the car failed to engage. Oh, so it threw me through the windshield. And um, up to my waist, they said, but at that point, the seatbelt decided to lock, and it pulled me back into the car. Did you have a near-death um, experience? Yes. What I remember is getting out of the car. I didn't know at the time it was a near-death experience because I got out of my car. I sat on the snowbank, and I was crying. I kept you know, crying and saying my dad was going to kill me because I just had a new transmission put in that car. Um, I seen the firemen and the paramedics all coming, and I didn't see myself in the car. I just seen everybody, you know, working around the car, and I didn't have that. Like, you hear a lot of times people talk about seeing this light or seeing a tunnel or seeing loved ones. I didn't have that experience. I had an old man who came up and sat next to me. He started consoling me and telling me that my dad wasn't going to be bad, but I needed to get back into the car. He told me that I had things to do, I had work to do, it wasn't time to go, I had to get back in the car. So I remember getting back in the car and opening my eyes, and I just heard, like, this horrible wrenching sound, which yeah, later on at the hospital I learned were the jaws of life cutting me out. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends was one of the first responders. And he just, um, I kept looking over at him, and I'm like, open the door, I was just outside. And he was like, no, no, you were unresponsive. You were dead. You were dead in and, the car. Yes. And, you know, he 
you know, I kept telling him, no, no, I was just out talking to the old man over there. And, you know, and they, he was like, no, you had nothing. And he know? probably and, said, what old man, right? Yeah. And they thought I was, like, they thought I had a head injury because I just kept insisting, you know, to go thank the old man. And I think that also helped fuel me to want to learn even more after having that experience because I could still remember that old man to this day. And I think that's why I'm still doing it after all this time because of that experience also, because I wanted to know why this old man came to me, why my experience wasn't like all the other experiences I've heard about. Did you ever figure out who the old man was, Holly? No, but all I know is that my accident happened right next to a cemetery. He wasn't like Jesus or anybody like that. No, he was a little tiny old man with curly white hair, and he was kind of chunky. Nothing like I would have ever pictured like God or Jesus or anything like that to be. And not a relative? Nope, no one that I ever knew, no one that I ever saw. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... Actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. How many places have you investigated to date, do you think? Um, I would say it, like between private investigations and you know, the more prominent ones that I've done, it's probably well over a hundred. Have any places scared you? I, I think prisons scare me the most. Um, West Virginia state penitentiary was one of, and it wasn't even West Virginia state penitentiary itself that scared me, but the Sugar Shack, which is one of the locations inside. It was like an indoor yard where they would take the prisoners in poor weather and stuff inside West Virginia State Penitentiary. That place scared me the most out of most locations that I've ever been because there was just such an ominous feeling when you would walk in there because I didn't experience any paranormal activity. It was the feelings that I was experiencing. I, I just knew walking in, it was a horrible place that I didn't want to be. Um, I wouldn't, I didn't stay long. And even now, like I have gone back there several times and I still won't go down there. Um, it just, just the feelings that you get when you walk in are just so dreadful and so horrifying. And like, you know, things that I would see in my head, like people being harmed and, you know, just bad things happening. And I just, I never, that is the one place that scares me the most out of every place I've been. Have you ever been hurt? I know we were talking about how you've been kicked at and stuff like that, but. I haven't been, um, back in my early years when I first started investigating, I did have um, a case where I had a cross fly off the wall and I have a scar on my leg from that still. Um, but I haven't been harmed to the point where I had to seek medical attention or where I needed anything other than um, it, we were at St. Albans in Virginia, and it was um, a, an asylum sanatorium type thing, and I was pushed, like literally like knocked down on the ground to the point that I was like laying there looking at the ceiling. Jeez. They really wanted you out of there, didn't they? Well, it was more, they had an entity there that they call like a creeper or a crawler that like comes down the walls. And, you know, I was with a, a group of people and they were, we, you know, I told the two guys who asked what we should do to run. And I stood there and I seen this black thing just come at me and knock me over. And, you know, that, you know, I have no explanation for that. We've seen it pop out in a laser grid and just, came out of, like, absolutely nowhere. We heard a pop, and that's what we saw. You've been to Gettysburg. What did you feel there? Gettysburg is actually, um, it's kind of become one of my favorite places. I don't live, I only live, like, probably about two hours away from Gettysburg. And the first time I had gone there, it wasn't even, you know, for a paranormal investigation. It was for vacation um, after my father had passed with my son and nephew. And we were out on the battlefield up at um, Little Round Top, 
And they had roped off areas at the time because they were doing some, bringing in some new growth and stuff to keep protected of the battlefield. And we were looking out over into Devil's Den, and my son kept, he was probably seven or eight at the time, and kept going over the rope. And I kept telling him, you can't do that, you have to stay over here. And he just kept shouting back to me, Mommy, if that man can be there, so can I. I'm following that man. And at first, I didn't see anyone standing there. Oh, and I'm like, geez. there's nobody down there. He had the and gift. The I, little guy had the gift, huh? Yes, he did. And um, as I turned my head out of the corner of my eye, I thought I was looking at a reenactor. There was a man standing at the bottom towards going towards Devil's Den who had this huge floppy hat on. And, you know, my mom and nephew, they didn't see it. So I just thought, well, maybe I was seeing things. But we went out sightseeing, and we went to one of the ghost tour offices to get a ticket for later that night to go on a ghost tour. And on the walls, I saw this image of a man in a floppy hat. And my son kept pointing him out, saying, Mommy, Mommy, that's the man we saw. Wow. And so I went and asked them about it, and they came up and told me it was a photo of an apparition that was caught on the battlefield that they believed was from a Texas regiment. So that was, yeah, one of the experiences. Like, we had had so many there. Um, while I was there with them, we had phones ringing in our hotel room with nobody there, and then the hotel telling us nobody was calling our room. And we had someone call from our room when we weren't there saying they needed help. And when we came back, there's all these people outside our room, and there was nobody in our room. Wow, they thought yeah. something was happening inside your room, right? Yes, but there was nobody there. We were. My mom was at the pool, and I had gone shopping. So there, and I even opened the door to show them there's nobody in here. Yet clearly somebody had used your phone in the room. Yep, and we have no explanation for how. And uh, my mom kept hearing a train all night. And there was no train behind the hotel we were staying at. But then after we had talked to the people at the hotel, that's actually the hotel where we were staying is where the train came behind it and dropped Lincoln off where he delivered the Gettysburg Address. So that was like another type of paranormal experience that we had there. And so, and I think that keeps me going back because every time I go, I have, I find a different experience or I get to go to a different location because the battlefield is huge. You can't do it in a day. Lots of pain and, on that battlefield too, Holly. Yes, a lot of pain and a lot of what I've experienced is a combination of hauntings where, you know, you have intelligent ones that ones are, you know, actually, you know, spirits that are trying to communicate. But then other ones are just, you know, from the amount of things that happen there, they're re like residual, they're energy that keeps reenacting things that happened over and over and over again. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.